Hi, this is Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer, and today I have the great pleasure of having three of the authors of our lead article titled Complications of HIPEC for Ovarian Cancer Surgery Evaluation Over Two Time Periods. The first author is Beatriz Navarro-Santana from the University of Las Palmas de Gran Canaria in Canarias, Spain. The second is David Viveros Carreño and René Pareja, who are both at the Instituto Nacional de Cancerología in Bogota, Colombia. So certainly it is a pleasure to have you all to uh, discuss some of the questions that we have for you about this uh, very uh, interesting and important article. So thank you so much for accepting our invitation. Uh, thank you so much uh, for inviting us. It's such a great pleasure for us to be here. Outstanding. Well, um, we have uh, quite a number of questions and hopefully we'll be able to get through all of them. Uh, but first, I'll start with René Pareja. Um, René, you know, one of the main concerns regarding HIPEC in patients with advanced ovarian cancer lies in the complication rates noted uh, with the procedure. And depending on what articles you look at, they can range anywhere from about 10% to about 50%. So why do you consider today that HIPEC has such a high complication rate? Thank you, Pedro, for these questions. Uh, there are several reasons that explain this phenomenon. The first is the complexity of performing multi-organ resections in patients with locally advanced variant cancer. Also, prolonged surgical times, the need of different kinds of surgeons taking part in the surgery and the procedure, an important rate of bleeding and transfusion, and the need of prolonged admissions, either in intensive care units or general admission. All of them altogether contribute to a high complication rate that has not changed over the time, even considering recent advances in postoperative care and ERAS pathways implementation. Yes, yeah, interesting. And we're definitely going to get into some of those details that you mentioned um, in your answer. Uh, I'll turn over to David now. And when, when you were thinking about the study, what, what was the hypothesis for the study? And, and why would you consider that HIPEC complications might have changed over time? Um, when we created and registered the protocol for the systematic review, we hypothesized that uh, the use of HIPEC in the context of cytoreductive surgery for epithelial ovarian cancer would be associated with um, lower complication rates in recent years. This uh, would align with trends observed in other surgical procedures like you know, intestinal resections or even cytoreductive surgeries without a HIPEC, where maybe the learning curves and preoperative programs like ERAS have uh, demonstrably uh, improved uh, the preoperative outcomes for those patients. And uh, we specifically anticipate, for example, the improvement in context of kidney injury uh, related to cisplatin use, for example, potentially enhanced, you know, by interventions like using sodium uh, thiosulfate. So now let's talk a little bit about the design of the study. I'll turn to Beatriz. Uh, what was the selection process for, for the studies that you evaluated I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about which studies you included and which ones you excluded. Yes. First of all, the study design was a systematic review and meta-analysis regarding complications of high-tech. And the inclusion criteria were patients with newly diagnosed epithelial advanced ovarian cancer 
which is stage three to four of the figure of 2018 or recurrent epithelial ovarian cancer, a cancer of any stage. And the exclusion criteria were patients under 18 years of age treated by laparoscopy, pregnancy, no epithelial tumors or suboptimal cytorotactic surgery. Excellent. So we're, we'll get into some of the questions that are turned in from our uh, fellows in the journal. This uh, question is for you, Rene, from Luigi Davitis. Um, and he says, although it is already explained in the methods, can you please comment as to why you chose these time periods? It's interesting to know why you started the data extraction in 2004 and why the first time period ended in 2013. Uh, thank you, Pedro. As you said, it was explained in the method section in our manuscript. We started that extraction in 2004 because the first publication on HIPEC and ovarian cancer appeared in 1999. So we decided to leave enough time to consider the learning curve in ovarian cancer started in HIPEC administration and chose two equal periods for evaluating trends in the complication rate. Excellent. So um, you talked about a little bit about the, the quality assessment of the studies, David. Can you tell us a little bit more about the tools that you use for quality assessment in these studies? Because this is always, I find, very important when you when you do uh, this type of study that you assure that you have actually uh, an evaluation of the quality of the studies that you're including. Uh, sure. For the meta-analysis, we employed the Newcastle Tower Scale for cohort studies to assess um, the quality of non-randomized studies. This uh, scale, you know, assess three key aspects of, of the studies. First, the selection of the study groups, then the comparability of groups, and also the way that the ascertainment of the outcome of interest uh, is assessed each study. Uh, is assigned uh, a maximum of nine stars under the scale. And we define uh, for the meta-analysis high quality studies or those at uh, low risk of bias when uh, scoring seven or more stars. Excellent. So now before we get into all of the details of the questions about the results, I'll let Beatrice present what were the results of the study? What are the main highlights? Yes, thank you. In total, uh, in total, we included, included uh, 4,928 patients treated with hyper over two years period from 2004 to 2013 and from 2014 to 2022. Uh, we did not find any significant difference between the two time periods in terms of blood transfusion, overall gastrointestinal complication, infection disease, overall respiratory complication, overall urinary complication, or thromboembolic events. Also, we didn't find any difference in intensive care unit admission, reoperation, or deaths. So quite quite impacting and not sure certainly if uh, if you all expected those uh those results, but let's let's get into um, some of those details, and I'll I'll start with Renee. Um, in the overwhelming majority of complications, as Beatrice mentioned, there were no differences between the time groups. You mentioned a little bit before that one would anticipate that there would be at least some improvement in complication rates. 
Um, why do you think that this was the case? There was actually no difference between the two time groups in terms of complications. Yeah, this is precisely what we want to say in our manuscript. Hypercomplication rate has not changed during the last 20 years, and the number of adverse event, events remains stable despite surgeons' skills or improvements in post-operative quality of care. One thing is the capability to extract or taking out the visible disease and to kick hypec. And another difference is the influence those procedures can have in the post-operative period. Hypec is a morbid procedure, even in very skilled hands. And because of that, it should not be part of routine standard of care. And its use has to be restricted to IRB-approved clinical trials as confirmed by hardware and collaborators representing several European countries in a document statement published recently in Bulletin Do Cancer. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, certainly some, some might argue that um, it, it is only to be performed in really, you know, certainly expert centers that are routinely doing this procedure as well. Um, I'll turn to, to David, and um, this question is from Guido Valsaki from Argentina, and he says, was it a surprise that only 28% of patients required ICU admission in the latter period from 2014 to 2022, when the frequency was almost 90% in the period from 2004 to 2013? Uh, that, that's a great question. You know, ICU admission rate was uh, naturally one of our key outcomes of interest uh, for the review. Um, like other peritoneal malignancies, postoperative management protocols uh, for cytoreactive surgery in HIPEC uh, vary across centers. And early protocols and also the protocols for some randomized control trials often required mandatory ICU admissions for all patients for the first 24 or 48 hours. In some cases, uh, you know, it's purely for postoperative surveillance. Um, however, some uh, recent protocols prioritize ICU admission only for patients uh, with uh, predetermined risk factors or criteria for admission, allowing other patients to be directly transferred to the surgical floor. And this uh, variation likely explains some of the observed uh, differences in ICU admission rate across the studies. And additionally, given uh, the retrospective uh, nature of most of included studies, of course, reporting or publication bias for certain outcomes uh, cannot be ruled out. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, as you mentioned, it's probably also a level, an increasing level of comfort um, by the surgeons and the team, considering that patients perhaps may not need um, routinely ICU admissions. Um, Beatriz, this question comes from Jorge Hegel in Venezuela, and he asks uh, specifically perhaps about the chemotherapy. He says, even though this review includes very heterogeneous data, were you able to obtain any relevant information about the complications inherent to the chemotherapy? Um, for me, uh, we were able to obtain any relevant data about the complications inherent to chemotherapy because uh, we included studies with a lot of type of different agents. 
And also what we do, what we did and what meta-analysis was compared to two periods of time of chemotherapy. And for me to, to do the complication inherent to chemotherapy, maybe we, we should have done um, a, a meta-analysis which compares a group patient, a group of patients treated with hyped and another group not treated with hyped um, with the same type of chemotherapy, I think. Next uh, next project for you, perhaps. Um, so, Renee, uh, this question comes from Seda Sahin Acker in uh, uh, Turkey. And she notes, what, what is the reason for high rate of urinary complications in recent years? Is it just a, a fact that, you know, certainly this may be a documentation issue? Um, or is it that there were truly a higher likelihood of urinary complications more recently? Thank you, Pedro. If you look at the data, the, the rate of urinary complication is 10% in the whole group, being 6% in the first period against 12% in the second one, without any statistical difference. We have to recognize that this number includes renal injuries and other entities that weren't reported separately by the authors of the manuscripts included. And this can be considered as a weakness of our manuscript. Great. Um, another complication, uh, hemorrhage, and I'll turn to David. Um, the one item where there was a difference between the two time groups was in hemorrhage. Um, what do you think is happening here? Um, th th that's a great question. You know, as, as you noted, there was a statistically significant decrease in bleeding risk, although the absolute difference was quite small. It's just 1% or 4 versus 3%. But this finding uh, was consistent across all studies and alliance with uh, observations of reduced bleeding after major abdominal surgery in uh, other clinical settings, including not only gynecological tumors, but also uh, you know, other scenarios. And specifically, uh, maybe the, the evolution of surgical practice has led to numerous interventions for minimizing bleeding risk. And these range from preoperative identification of patients at the higher risk uh, to proper preoperative anticoagulant management and also other interoperative strategies. Um, but uh, it's also important uh, regarding the chemotherapy agents that there could be also some differences, as for example, uh, oxaliplatin is related to a high risk of postoperative bleeding and it's used, it's variable uh, in time among studies. Interesting. Um, this question comes from Jessica Mauro in Italy. I'll ask Beatrice. Uh, this is about the surgical approach. Um, have you assessed? The surgical technique used, open versus minimally invasive, do you think there may be any difference in terms of complications? Um, as I said before, in our inclusion criteria, we have only included patients operated by laparotomy. And we excluded patients treated by minimally invasive surgery. So as we do not compare uh, both techniques we don't know which technique has the least complication maybe minimally well. invasive we don't know yes yeah, so at this point uh, not enough data to uh to suggest a, a one way or the other okay uh right guido valzaki from argentina says uh were there marked differences in how hypec actually was applied over time 
Okay, Pedro, the agents used, the temperature and time, the technique closed versus open, and the post-operative intensive care unit admission was equally distributed between the two periods of time. I would like to highlight that those topics were not part of our main objectives. Very well, and I think, you know, in a related question from Matt Wager in the University of Wisconsin, I'll, I'll turn to David. He talks about the rate of kidney injury, and he says the rate of kidney injury was not significantly different between the two time periods analyzed. Was there a sub-analysis of different HIPEC agents used as, as these could differentially contribute to the rate of acute kidney injury? Uh, formal sensitivity or subgroup analysis regarding the specific uh, HIPEC uh, chemotherapy agent was not uh, feasible due to the significant heterogeneity across and within the studies. Um, not only did the studies employ uh, different regimens, but uh, variations within the same study included a uh, diverse dose for the same agent and combination of multiple agents. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the current clinical scenario for HIPEC involves maybe only interval surgery with cisplatin for epithelial ovarian cancer. And with this regimen, the introduction of sodium thiosulfate has dramatically reduced the incidence of kidney failure. However, uh, inconsistent use also of sodium uh, thiosulfate through the included studies, uh, coupled with the variations in kidney failure definitions, and that's also really important for assessing outcomes across all the studies, uh, limits uh, the possibility of having uh, reliable conclusions regarding uh, this specific outcome or its variation uh, in time. Yes, and I agree. I mean, the, the heterogeneity of the of the treatment regimens often makes it very challenging to, to compare across studies. Um, another topic, ostomy rates. I'll ask uh, Beatriz, and this uh, question comes from Luigi Davitis, and he says, regarding the ostomy rate, the frequency was 41% in the earlier period and 17% in the later period. Although not statistically significant, do you think there is a trend towards a reduction in ostomy rates? Uh, for me, personally, I think that, yes, there is a trend to reduce the ostomy rates uh, because last, lastly, there are some publications and one meta-analysis, one meta-analysis which has been mentioned in the discussion of the article that concludes that ostomy does not protect of anastomotic leaks. So I, I think that some experienced surgeons has have starting to stop doing ostomy, uh, only they do it in the, in very selective cases. And, and Renee, you previously mentioned about ERAS, uh, Enhanced Recovery After Surgery programs. Uh, this next question, as we learn more about the care of patients in the perioperative period, one would consider that rates of readmissions would decrease, particularly with the implementation of ERAS programs. Why do you think that the rate of readmissions did not differ among the groups? Pedro, as I mentioned before, this is because the magnitude of the surgery, the, he the heavy bleeding associated with the procedure, the need of multi-organ resections, baldness, tomosis, prolonged hospital admission, etc. I do consider that readmission rate will not change in the near term, even under ERAS protocols implementation. As 
all of you know, the learning curve of HIPEC is too steep and multiple publications have addressed this issue before. So I want to turn over to David because this question may come from those who are very strong advocates of HIPEC. Um, you know, certainly when you look at the rate of complications. And one finding that I considered surprising was that for the majority of the complications, the frequency actually was quite low. So do you consider that this is due to underreporting of such complications given the retrospective nature of the study? Or the fact that we have been kind of overestimating perhaps in certain studies, the complication rate of HIPEC? What are your thoughts? Uh, I'm not completely sure about considering the reported overall complication rate as low as it's probable that most of those complications are high-grade complications or adverse events. Uh, however, I, I totally agree when, uh, when you compile this information to maybe randomized controlled trials, which typically employ more robust prospective adverse event reporting systems, virtually uh, almost 100% of patients experience any grade of adverse event, but most of those events are uh, grade one or grade two. And that uh, it's not only for hyper, but also for exclusive cytoreductive surgery. So it's possible, yeah, that, that there is a, a bias in reporting only uh, high-grade complication rates. And that's why maybe this is not so, so low as you could think. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. A, a excellent point regarding the grading of the complications because um, that's really very, very important uh, when looking and evaluating these complications. Um, Beatriz, what do you think are the limitations of this study? Um, for me, the meta-analysis has some limitations. Um, the first one is that we do we did not report all the all the grades of complication together. We did not use a surgical morbidity index as such as Clavian Dindo. Uh, and also the, the study that we included uh, has had a lot of heterogeneity, such as because we they such as the chemotherapy dosage, time and aging, also the type of surgery, because there there were some studies which included prim primary or recurrent surgery. Uh, also, the type of studies included and the type of high-tech technique because we included the open or our unclosed technique. Very well. And uh, as a last question, as we're coming to the end of the podcast, I'll turn to Rene. And Rene, um, I would like your for your opinion for, for those who are actually um, proponents of high-tech and those who may not be. What do you consider as the most appropriate changes to make in our practice based on a result of a study like this? Pedro, we hope that we can accept as a scientific community that high-peak usage in ovarian cancer, perhaps excluding intervallable surgery in highly specialized center, should be conducted under IRB-approved protocols and needs to stop offering it in clinical practice in upfront surgery and related disease when clearly there is no data supporting it. I respectfully recommend to our audience to read the last consensus statement on ovarian cancer written by the most relevant figures in the context of ovarian cancer treatment. We should not forget 
that we once promised when we took the Hippocratic Oath when taking our professional vows. First, do no harm, assessed the editorial of our article written by doctors Ignaz Bergot and Luis Chiva. We must stop putting our patients at unnecessary risk. Well, thank you very, very much to all three of you. Um, really enjoyed speaking with you and having this discussion. I, I venture to, to project that there will be some who might have uh, some uh, opinions uh, that differ from those that have been viewed here, particularly those who are very strong proponents of HIPEC, but certainly we welcome those opinions as well. But I want to thank all of you for the tremendous amount of hard work uh, and dedication that this uh, the study took, and, and thank you for sending it to, to our journal, and thank you again for your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much, Pedro, for this kind of invitation. Yes.